podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. G'day Formula One friends, it's James Baldwin here welcoming you along to another episode of Oz F1, Australia's favourite Formula One podcast and another race recap episode, this time for what was quite simply the best race I have seen in such a long time. Pierre Gasly, a Formula One Grand Prix winner. Who would have thought that 18 months ago with the woes of Red Bull? How the tides have turned. Well, there is so much to talk about, but if you're new to the podcast, please don't forget to subscribe and you can check out all of our social media channels by exploring the description below. For now, let's get into it. As always, by my <laughs> friends and yours, the two Thomases, Tommy T and the grumpiest man in Formula One, Thomas J. Camp. <laughs> oh, g'day. G'day. Hey, oh, intro, you dickhead. Grumpier than Lewis Hamilton on a scooter, who, uh, as uh, oh. Mark pointed out on Twitter, set the uh, new lap record, unofficial lap record around Monza because he was that annoyed about <laughs> the penalty that he was handed. But, boys, what a bloody race, hey? Monza actually delivered. Delivered the oh. Formula One race that we've been waiting years for. Oh, look, don't go, don't go too over the top. I'll tell you what, this is my one thing from this weekend that I'll take away. We didn't have engine modes, so I don't think we saw Mercedes go as quick as they can. And if we had had engine modes, we would have had more on track passing. So the new rule they've brought in for this weekend has already shot itself in the foot. So change it. <laughs> it's very quick to the change. Did there. you watch the same race? <laughs> Mate. Mate, any race in which Gasly wins, and good on him for winning, it's good, but he didn't deserve it. No one, look, not that whole podium didn't deserve it other than Science. Stroll, the cheeky prick, didn't even bit. Just stayed out and got a podium. <laughs> Give me a break. Well, it's... Uh- Driver of the day, two it's weeks in a row. Younger-looking podium, and <laughs> look, I could have very happily swapped out Stroll for Danny Rick. I think all three of us would definitely agree at that point. Orlando, Orlando, absolutely. In fact, a McLaren one-two would have been great. Uh, and you're absolutely right, Campy, in terms of signs really being there to to be the true winner. But it has to be said that at least Gasly did pit. Yes, we'll talk a little bit later about why he did that. Uh, but Stroll really didn't pit. Didn't lose any time at all in the race, but we'll talk about the race a little bit later on. And still and still lost. And still lost. But uh, typical, he doesn't seem to be all that happy to oh. be there, does he? I was listening uh, to the race and, and they're saying similar things about every time they see him in an interview or any other situation, he just doesn't seem that keen. And certainly with the press conference yet again, didn't seem all that keen. But... It is a big congratulations to Pierre Gasly, even if he didn't deserve to win it. He's the first Frenchman to do so since uh, Olivier Panis in 1996, which is pretty cool. Obviously, boys, this was uh, a bit of a lead-up of emotions for the Williams Formula 1 family, uh, and not so much the team anymore because they're not owned by the the family campy Claire Williams departing this time around. And of course we're not, we don't have Frank anymore too. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, look, last week I I shared that I genuinely hoped that she would go on for the next 15 years and uh, leave a legacy of her own. But I saw an interview with her and I think it was Martin Brundle over the weekend, which was a great interview. And uh, 
she got asked about the legacy she left and she said she didn't want to talk about it. Um, she wanted to talk about her dad's, but I just wanted to touch on her, on her legacy that she's left briefly. And look, I've been pretty critical of Williams, but in this sport, the decisions you make, we don't really see the the benefits or the or the rewards of the decisions you make for for sort of twelve to eighteen months down the track. And I think where this team came from three years ago to where it is now, I think I think Paddy Lowe was ultimately the worst thing that she did as a team principal because he stuffed that team. Mm. And uh, but for the team to come back to where they are now, and I know they're still not in the greatest shape, but uh, I think her legacy is. She fought like tooth and nail to keep the business family owned and do a good job and stay in F1 and continue it to grow in F1. But I think we've really got to give her some credit for the job she's done over the last, particularly the last 18 months in restructuring and then going out to to uh, find the finances for the team to keep moving on. And I think that's got to be said. Her legacy is probably not as big as her dad's. But for me, someone that's only really started watching since 2009, 2010, she's someone that's always been in the media and in the pit and quite a visual face. And I think she's uh, she'll be sorely missed. And I hope that her she goes away with her husband and just does her own thing. But I think we'll see her back in Formula 1 in some capacity in the future. So if you ever stop past Oz F1 HQ, would be happy to buy you wine and share some stories over a great podcast. So congratulations to Claire and obviously our whole family, but I think she's uh, – I think it's really sad for the sport she's going. You know, I'd rather it be the other way, but uh, people make those decisions as they come. So, yeah. Mate, really well said. And look, how's that? How's that for grumpy? Unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> you proved me right. <laughs> no, honestly. Uh, whilst let me get over the shock of you being kind to someone for once on a podcast. Uh, no, really, <sighs> really well said, my man. And uh, I think you're absolutely right in terms of, of how it's been looking. It was a great interview. If you haven't seen it, go out and check the Sky uh, F1 YouTube channel. I think they're releasing the full interview there. But no, well said, and it was really good, Tommy T, to see a lot of the drivers uh, around the paddock, even the former drivers, like people like Jensen Button, commenting on just how significant Williams has been in their life. But as Campy had said, calling out Claire for for doing a lot of good work, specifically in the last 12 months, to look at really saving that team and ultimately making the decision that whilst cost the team, uh, sorry, the family, the team, meant that the, the team could continue. Well, the hardest thing is that this sport we know is driven by money and like a family owned team is not going to be able to compete with the might of a massive German company like Mercedes or a massive Italian company like Ferrari. So unfortunately the writing was on the wall for a while and they were kind of doing their very best to stay afloat, but it was kind of inevitable really, but it was really good to see George and um, Latifi both on their, their cool down laps both reaching out personally to Claire over the radio to make sure that everyone could hear it about their personal journeys. I'm sure all the other drivers that have come through Williams would feel the same as well, that she's had a very personal touch on their careers. So, yeah, it'll be sad to see her go, but she's going to leave a legacy, and I think it's going to take a while for it actually to sink in how much she actually did. Yeah, and look, we need a – like. 2014, when we had this turbo hybrid era, I don't think anyone really realised how much of a technological advance it was for the sport to move in that direction. And unfortunately, there's really only been one team that's got it right the whole way through (laughs) and everyone else has been catching up. And she took over that team, you know, like a year before it 
before these new regulations came in and I think for her to come from that old era where it was still quite easy to go racing, not that it wasn't hard, not that there wasn't design elements and technology, but the jump has been substantial in the last six years and uh, some of these smaller teams just can't compete at, at that top technological end because there's only so many great minds for these things to go around and unfortunately the top teams have them all. But, yeah, well done, Claire, and, uh, yeah, moving on. So looking then to the future and Tommy T, the beginning of this year was a complete letdown with the Melbourne Grand Prix being cancelled as fans were walking onto the track on the Friday What have you got for us? There's some rumblings going on in the Australian media, which might not have got out yet to the world of Formula One, about some possibilities for either the end of this year or the beginning of next. Yeah, well, so basically the Victorian government don't want to get screwed over and lose a lot of money like they did uh, this year. So they're basically saying unless it's guaranteed that it's going to run at the start of the season, they're kind of angling for it to be maybe the final race of the season. The alternative is that maybe we look to share the hosting and maybe gift it over to Adelaide at, at one of the racetracks over there um, as it used to be. I'm not sure it would be the same track. I think there was another track mentioned maybe in Adelaide, but they're kind of looking for anything to keep an Australian Grand Prix. Um, it's all kind of conjecture at the moment, but I'm pretty sure they'll have to decide soon because a lot would go into the manufacture and moving of that equipment and cars and all those kind of things. So, yeah, very I, interesting. I, I, I can assure you we will not have a race in Melbourne March next year. It is yeah, not going to happen. It go. is not going to happen. Our government is a shit show at the best of times at the moment. We're not even going to be out of lockdown before Christmas, let alone this dickhead running the place, letting a global consortium of car racers come into Melbourne to race around a track. I mean, the money side of it, don't worry about the money side of it. This guy's spending a billion dollars a day. What's another $60 million to, you know, put back into F1? I don't think if we get a race, it'll be later on in the year, but I just can't see it happening. It, I, I don't think it will happen. I think 2022 will get our Grand Prix back. It certainly looks like uh, it's almost Adelaide's opportunity to, to steal it back off of Melbourne. Uh, and if you live outside Australia, I think everyone's pretty much over it now, maybe. Maybe not. If you're listening in South Australia, you can prove me wrong. But uh, <laughs> there was a lot of bitterness between the Adelaide Grand Prix and the Melbourne Grand Prix. Uh, there's quotes at the moment going from um, the South Australian Premier saying he doesn't have bucket loads of cash, but he would back the bid of the privately owned Murraylands town of Taylor Bend to host the Grand Prix next year. The, uh, there is two rounds of V8 supercars happening there this year. Uh, not that I would suggest that many of the V8 supercar tracks are good for Formula 1, only because the cars are so bloody wide it would be like Mugello, which we're about to see this weekend and a lack of passing. Oh. Uh, but the Australian Grand Prix Corporation is Melbourne-based. It just I just don't think, I think to be honest, they're going to be like self-sacrificing and go, right, we'd rather just not have the race at all rather than give it to Adelaide just to, to let them run away yeah. with it. But that is... Well, you've got to remember, we, there's a few Muppets running the Australian Grand Prix Corporation as well. <laughs> we saw Paul that, Will didn't we, in the Doable. So, look, I don't, look, we need some new management everywhere, I think. Everywhere, at every level. <laughs> ThomasJCamp.com.au forward slash I'll manage every level uh, is where you need to go if you're listening to this. Give it here. Hey, I'll sort it out. Uh, Campy, uh, talking about sorting things out for really what seems to be no reason at all, uh, Renault uh, is 
rebirthing the Alpine brand. Uh, now, this yep. seems to be a Could little bit of a joke. Less. It's it. I don't, Could not care less. It's a bit, it's a bit <laughs> much, don't you think? Uh, it, Alpine, to me, looks like an old-school Lotus, uh, and they were ro- rocking around the uh, Grand Prix circuit last year as part of the Renault stand. Um, look, nice to look at, quick enough, I guess, but uh, I, is the point for well, Renault Just here, what we need, another blue and white car. Yeah, blue Bloody and white hell, Renault. Great. It looks like a Renault, it is a Renault, it talks like a Renault, sounds like a Renault, it is a bloody Renault. <laughs> and it's pronounced. It's why they pronounce it Alpine. It's Alpine. Jeez. <laughs> if you like, Fuck just the stupidity in some of the, the stupidity in some of these bureaucracies amazes me. <laughs> Look, it is purely amazes a me. bureaucratic decision, isn't it? it there, oh, there seems to be it, no, it real, totally is. no real means to do it. But you know, we'll add it to the Look. commentators being confused that when we can't even get off of uh, Sauber. Oh. And talking about Alfa Romeo, let alone Force India and Racing Point and Toro Ross at Alfa Terra. I mean, what is, is everyone just out there to confuse it? Oh, Crofty is bad enough at the moment. <laughs> the last thing he needs is another team name change to continue his woeful streak. Uh, anyway, we'll see what that looks like. But um, lots of blue hearts from Fernando Alonso on Twitter in response because why would he care? He'll Look, actually, for his point of view, <laughs> a better company car than a Megan RS Cup. Has to be said. Uh, Tommy True. T, Racing Racing Point and Ferrari. Finally, we can close the book on this chapter uh, of this stupid looking into investigations here <laughs> and this everything else. Everyone seems to be said a lot that the, the first decision is now the only and right decision. Uh, Ferrari copying Mercedes uh, for the first time, it seems, and uh, just taking their hand off of whatever this pulse is. They just gave up. I think they realised that everyone didn't really care and everyone was confused as to what they were arguing about. So they're like, hopefully that's why they just gave up and figured it was easy just to move on. The new regs are coming. We'll move on and get past it. But what's done is done. Nothing's really going to change. And I don't think they were going to get anywhere with it. And it was just going to cost a lot, a lot of money to get no result. Well, they're still going to have to pay the $400,000. Yeah. Euro fine that they got, so that's that's nothing to uh, Mr. Stroll. Yeah. It's probably a bad. That's probably a good night at the casino <laughs> for him. So <laughs> who cares? <laughs> yeah, but look, it means that they can close the the book on this one themselves, uh, and and just continue on. There'll be no stewards meetings after the race, and them being smacked on the hand for naughty, naughty using exactly what you did last weekend. Can't believe you did that. Oh, oh well, well, let's just keep moving on then. Another wonderful decision by Michael oh, Massey. Let's talk about Formula 3. Before the F1 race, uh, as I said to both of you, F3 was an absolute cracker and I was convinced it was going to be the best races of the weekend. All four of our Australian lads in in the competition, but uh, Oscar Piastri has been doing an absolutely cracking job. What did you think of his performance over the weekend? Uh, Piastri, race one. From P17 to P3, had some very, very solid pace. Uh, got on the podium. His teammate in that, uh, who was leading the championship at the time, Logan Sargent, got taken out with about five laps to go. And he ended up out of the points, which gave Piastri the uh, the lead again. And race two, um, Piastri was beating Sargent, and he was odds on for a podium, I reckon. And then he got taken out by the same guy that took out Sargent in race one. <laughs> and about. Justice. Uh, 
about three laps later, Sergeant Bendit and ended up out of the points. So he scored no points for the whole weekend. And uh, Piastri goes into the last round of the championship next weekend at Mugello with, uh, with eight points clear with two races left. So um, he does incur a five-place grid penalty for an incident that happened on the first lap of race two this weekend, uh, which is a shame, but uh, we're rooting for him. I think he'll get the win. Look, it doesn't, oh, yeah. it doesn't look like he's bad at taking the pack as well. I mean, Lewis Hamilton in Formula 1 really struggled. That Mercedes struggled behind other cars, whereas F3, there's very similar car setups, and so it's more about the specific driving style. And as you said, his ascension from P17 to P3 was ridiculously good. Uh, he, he got lucky in a few instances, but he knew where to place the car, and especially coming into the first chicane, it's it's where you place that car to defend against others, to get out of the second yeah. corner, to, to get away. It, it's incredible. It, honestly, again, if you haven't watched Formula 3, do yourself a favour and get it. If you're in Australia, yes, you have to suffer under KO, and yes, it's really hard to find it in there, but it is in there, <laughs> as is F2. But from the Australian point of view, the four lads are doing pretty well. Campy, how did the other four guys or the other three guys go over the weekend? Yeah, Peroni's next best. Uh, he didn't have a great weekend. Got a top five in race two, uh, but he's sort of sitting back in that fifth, sixth in the championship. Uh, Callan Williams, uh, he finished out of the points in both races this weekend. And Jack Doon, same. He, Jack Doon hasn't scored a point all year. So, oh, look, he's got a bit of cash behind him. I think he'll get a drive for next year, but he's going to have to drastically improve to uh, to keep Red Bull, to stay in that Red Bull Junior program, because he's shown nothing this year. Hasn't even scored a point. Hasn't even come close. Yeah, it's quick fire season this year, though. Um, you know, first eight races or nine races or whatever it is. So quick fire season for them. And uh, unfortunately, if, if you're not on it, you don't have time in between to prep it just with the nature of the season this year, you know, with three triple headers. So to start off and that's their whole season. So um, look, we'll see how we go, but we're really concentrated on Piastri for next weekend. That'll be one to watch. Put that in your diary. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more, mate. It really, really good. All right. Well, let's get into the favourite part of Oz F1. Well, uh, this week we had far less uh, of our mate Karun because Ted was back. Yeah, How good is it having Ted back? Yes. You just noticed straight away, hey, don't you? Ugh. Nah, it was good. Actually, genuinely, this was one of the better like lead-ups to the race, like all of the stuff before the race. The actual race, however... Man, we were watching some random action. We were watching Lewis for no oh. reason whatsoever for so many laps. <laughs> we, there was talk of, I think it was a Renault passing and then getting passed again and then taking it back, and we never saw a thing. I can't remember when it was happening towards the end of the race, but we never saw any of the action, so I can't even tell you about it. <laughs> Ridiculous. I think, I think they were pretty good this weekend. It, it was one of the better ones. Uh, having Ted back definitely makes a difference. Um, I don't know. Any, any uh, about, anything to add, lads? What about the what, flyover, what about, James? What, the flyover, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now that this is becoming a thing, look, the Aramaki's just not as cool as an F-16. Uh, and whilst yeah. I said the F-16, you know, look at the design's been around since the 70s. I'm pretty sure the aircraft that they were specifically fly, flying were built in the 1970s. Um, yeah, they've still got photos of Mussolini yeah. in the cockpit, mate. <laughs> 
flying, <laughs> flying nice and tight. Dodgy pricks. Looking good. Uh, but because it's an Aramaki, uh, it only scores a 5 out of 10. Uh, although Ooh. there was there was a lot of, more coverage, it seemed like. But there's just because there was about 40,000 jets standing there. Can I also say, though, on the other military side, that military band who was there, there was about 70,000 symbols and 13 <laughs> tom-toms <laughs> unnecessarily. Also, they'd come to a halt except for like three or four people who were just kind of looking around the track still marching and beating away. It's like, well, doesn't that say yeah. a hell of a lot? No, look, Tommy, uh, on a serious note, though, about Lewis Hamilton, he, the coverage of him at the back of this race was so yeah. irrelevant to what was happening at the front. It's like they can't help themselves. We should be looking where he no. was in all the other races, in that sort of mid-pack, all those fights, and not at him, yet we're looking at him in the you know in the lead with many, many, many hundreds of years gap between him and Valtteri Bottas or Max Verstappen, yeah. usually. And this time we're looking at this. It's like, it's very unusual. The, to be honest, the only thing that I really enjoyed was watching him come up on the back of George Russell. And for the first time ever, George Russell didn't go into auto mode, which is just to pull over when he sees the Mercedes coming behind yeah. him. He goes, actually, I'm in <laughs> here. Like, I'm fighting for oh, position. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he defended no, exactly. well, didn't he? He did. Yeah. He did. Absolutely. No, it was... But we were watching Lewis when he was still trying to catch up to the back of the pack before he oh, got no. to people. That's what was crazy. Yeah. But anyway. So um, what's your total score out of 10? Well, it was going to be about a five, but redeeming feature, we got a bit of Lando and Danny Rick yes. post-race, oh. which was great. So that's upped <laughs> it to a six. The oh. banter between those two is strong already. That, I can't wait. It's significant. Uh, I like, look, if you haven't checked it out, there was a lot of banter again. Lando Norris is is standing, coming up behind Danny Ricciardo, the exact opposite of what happened in Spa, interrupting Danny's interview. And they were talking about Daniel's pass on Valtteri Bottas, which was fantastic. And again, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But Jensen said, uh, you know, oh, well, it's talking about passing. Um, and you're saying that he didn't pass or hasn't really passed anyone since he's been in a Red Bull. He's, he should have just seen his pass. And Lando said something along the lines of, oh, yeah, I couldn't see though because you were in my mirrors, mate. <laughs> it's good. Very it quick. Is, it's great out of 10. That's, Can't wait for next that's year. B gra that's B grad banter right there. No. It's <laughs> very quick. I'm into it. Right, Danny left him a sweaty seat. Yeah, love it. It's 10 out of 10 for me. dead to me. Yeah, of course he is. But for the rest of us, for everyone else who enjoys good banter, it's really good. All right, boys, let's talk about the race team by team as we always do. And I want to start at the very back of the grid. Let's start with Ferrari, right down the very back with the most. All right, I thought you called me. I thought you called me the grumpiest man in F1. We're talking about Ferrari. In their wow. home race. Oh, how good. <laughs> I'll be dying out on this for six months. This is getting me through lockdown, this one. I'll have a beer to celebrate every night oh, for two that's weeks. That's so great. That is so great. Look, couldn't have happened to a better team. Um, really unfortunate for Seb, though. Has to be noted before we talk about the racing and qualifying and everything else for him. He went around and took a photo of everyone in the team and paid for them all to go into, I think it was like 40 euros each or whatever, to be to be put up in the grandstands. Uh, whether or not he went up to Mattia Bonotto and 
and said, uh, let's have a photo of you, Where's Wally? Because then we can actually play Where's Wally, the proper Ferrari Italian game. That would have actually been really <laughs> fantastic. And I need to go and check if he's done that, actually. Oh, that That's a good so idea. Good. Um, but he went around and bought it for everyone and Charlotte Claire bought it one for him and his mum. It's like, <laughs> okay, that says a lot, doesn't it? Um, anyway, good guy, Seb. Uh, also, he, uh, during qualifying, when he obviously got out early on, went to stand uh, on the Parabolica to, to watch all of those cars coming around. And do you know what? It is just so good to see the humanistic fan slash racer side of him. He's also just bought one of Nigel Mansell's Williams for his own personal collection. Yeah, saw that. Wow. He is He is a dude. Like... So, so let's talk about the race itself, though. Super unlucky for him uh, going to this campy. He had brake failure going along the main straight. Yeah, yeah, into turn one. Yeah, um, just went straight on. Took those polyester, uh, whatever you call them, barge balls, styrofoam. Yeah, so we right call them styrofoam, whatever they are. Bang! So that was a shame. Um, yeah, look. Ferrari are nowhere at the moment. Like, Seb was way off the pace to not even get out of Q1. Like, we expected them to be, like, the fourth, fifth, and sixth best car this year. But in these last two races, in the power-sensitive races, look, they have been nowhere. To think where they were last year, I know we say it all the time. The uh, real shame for uh, for Seb, uh, still at the moment, he's doing all the right things. He's he's not bad-mouthing. He's not, he's not yep. Venom Good in that point. team. Yep. I think he will be at some stage, uh, but he's grown up. Imagine if this had been happening back in 2010, 2011. Yes. Like, a different story. Um, But, yeah, shame to say, but he's a racer at heart and he's a fan. And, uh, look, Charles has crashed. Jeez, it it looked worse than what it was, but, yeah, I mean, they're not great, are they? It's a big shunt, wasn't it? But not a... Yeah, it was a big shunt. But Bernardo's got to go, doesn't he? He's got to, like... He's got to be – they have to be having decisions somewhere in Ferrari about getting rid of him, surely. Yeah, well, this is this is far, far worse than we first anticipated. They're not even in the mid-pack anymore. Like, you could argue that. They're well behind. They're, they're getting consistently out-qualified and passed by customer teams. That's surely a red flag that Bernardo's got to go. Well, well Ferrari were very quick at putting – uh, they're f- many former team bosses in the bin pretty quickly to go through and, and now arrive at this conclusion that it's not the team boss but everyone else below him. I don't think that's necessarily right. I mean, the Italian media have been having an absolute field day already on Twitter. Uh, and I'm sure the Monday morning papers, uh, which are probably at, well, they're at already, would be very scathing of him. But it seems like he's not really talking to the points of the issues with the team. Uh, Ross Braun even was on Sky and talking about Ferrari. Of course, we know he was one of the the team principal with Michael Schumacher in the dominant era. And he said that, you know, it seems like they're focusing on too many things rather than the things that just matter. Um, And, it just feels, again, like it just needs some Toto Wolf-style leadership to get in there and sort it out. We know that they, they're a race-winning team and even a championship-winning team, but it's ex- exceptionally disappointing to see them literally, as we're talking on this podcast, in a spot that's usually reserved for Williams at the very back of the Formula One grid. Yeah. Well, I think, look, Ferrari, look, we've been critical of their decision-making and the Italian way is clearly the wrong way at the moment. 
clearly on track would suggest that, but they, they talk about Ferraris and a feeling and emotion and there's a there's a culture that comes with being part of the Ferrari team and the Tifosi. It's all sorted out. That stuff will come when you get your on-track stuff right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like, no, well said. That stuff lucky falls away so quickly. Yeah, I know. That stuff falls away so quickly when your team's performing crap. And I think it's been the team's been bad enough for a long time, in my opinion, um, to suggest that they're not. They haven't really been that good since 2000 when they designed a one-off car that they thought, "Geez, where did this come from? We didn't think we had this in us." Which builds on their yeah. reputation, but. <laughs> You know, I mean, their reputation's shot at the moment. I don't think any new fan coming into Ferrari, uh, coming in to watch F1, sorry, would be a Ferrari fan. Like, it's not like when you're a kid growing up and every, you just knew what Ferrari was and you know you knew how good it was. But uh, nowadays, it's not the same for this new generation of F1 fans coming in. They don't see the importance of Ferrari. They don't really care because they're just another team that's making up the numbers. When you've got teams like Aston Martin next year, McLarens, they're the cars that people are starting to want and be attracted to more so than what the Ferrari is itself. So, look, I'm stoked. I've been saying it. I'm stoked they're performing badly. I hope they pick it up at some <laughs> stage because yeah. they will and we need them to because... You know, you'd hate to see Ferrari at the back and then using all their veto powers on rules and stuff, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, you oh, pointed yeah, it out, geez, James. That would be a nightmare. The, uh, this is probably the last time that Signs will be performing well in Italy, unfortunately. <laughs> I think it's probably, yeah, it's probably on his mind and even more of a frustration. You know, he even got on the team radio, we'll talk about McLaren in a little bit, saying, you know, I need this, Tom, because he knows that there is a very, very slim chances for the rest of this year that he could win in a McLaren, but there is zero chance that he's going to win in a Ferrari next year. And that was a taste of victory, really, that he's going to get maybe next time in 2022 or beyond. Um, let's talk about Williams. As as we said earlier on, you know, Campy, you said a, a great piece there about Claire. And it, to be honest, it's a shame that these guys both weren't in the points. Uh, their qualifying was a bit rubbish and in and, and a track like this where you just sort of sit in the DRS queue or the toe, so to speak, it can become a little bit boring unless you have a red flag and a crash. Uh, but when it comes to George Russell's performance, he did pretty well. I mean, he didn't finish above his teammate. He finished this weekend in 14th uh, and Latifi finishing in 11th just outside the points. But it was a bit of a shame that both of them didn't get up there for Claire's sake. Yeah, Latifi uh, nearly snuck in that sneaky point like we did um, last year. Russell still hasn't scored a point, but last year... Um, oh, Kubica. I've forgotten his name. Kubica. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yep. Sorry, Robert. Um, he, w- he was the only <laughs> point scorer last year. Wobby. So Russell would have been doubly shattered if that happened again this year, considering how well he's done. But Latifi was just... Right place, right time when the, all of the chaos happened. We didn't really talk about the chaos of uh, qualifying yet, and I think these two guys really suffered from that. So what happened was everyone went out in the same time, but usually what happens is they all slow up at the end of the lap, leave a five-second gap, and then start the last two corners to start their flying lap. They couldn't do that this time because a lap delta had been brought in of a maximum time. So everyone was out there going, I have to go now, otherwise I'm going to get penalised. So everyone was starting their lap on top of each other and it was absolute carnage. Absolutely insane. 
Yeah, well, Russell got on the radio at one point as well. He's going, come on, guys. We need to be capitalising on the stupidity of other teams buying yeah. into this stuff. We need to be the team that is that is taking advantage of that. Why are we, mm-hmm. why are we playing the same game everyone else is? You know, we're not going to get out of Q1 and Q2 anyway. So, you know, let's. why aren't we capitalising on this? So it's good to see that this kid's thinking longer term and about, you know, the best way to capitalise on people's mistakes. Unfortunately, it didn't happen, but he's putting pressure on the team in all the right yep. places. Let's talk about Haas and, to be honest, my driver of the day, Kevin Magnuson, <laughs> for uh, pulling over and closing the pit lane, which inevitably gave Lewis Hamilton a stop-go 10-second penalty, which changed the entire race. K-Mag, the best thing you've done in the sport, mate. Congratulations on that. That's uh, good by you. And uh, Grosjean, well, I'm sure he was collecting data somewhere in the field. Uh, <laughs> he came in 12th, and so another useless finish for him. This Haas car, I really want it to be better than it is. Uh, at least Alfa Romeo is showing a little bit of a glimpse in terms of Kimi and G- even, even Giovinazzi being um, able to outperform the works Ferrari team. But uh, let's talk about the actual incident. Let's not talk about Haas so much because it's a bit boring. But K-Mag, um, something went pop. Let's assume it's a Ferrari engine because it just, you know, value adds to the fact that... Um, Alpha Tauri win. It's a piece of crap, let's be honest. But <laughs> K-Mag pulls in just before the pit lane. Now, here is the Italian stewards. They're going, right, well, here is this car. Uh, if I turn around behind me, oh, there's a big table of snacks here. I'm going to have to move that <laughs> if I want to pull my car. Tell you what we're going to do. The pit lane is just there, boys. We're going to push the car into the pit lane. And they're all like, yeah, that's great. I don't want to disrupt the <laughs> snacks here. We're, we're getting we're getting pretty hungry later on. This, you know, Let's do it now. Good, good call. And so they're Pushing it down, which is ridiculous, really. <laughs> but thank goodness they did. With K-Mag riding side it, saddle. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it was, it was incredible to see. Maybe this is the best part of the race, actually, now that I think about it. But those, I don't, I don't think many people actually saw the fact that the stewards had this little uh, trestle table full of snacks set typical. up of exactly where the car should have gone. But why so typical, like, Itali- no, typical no. Italians, don't get in the way of my food. Why didn't K-Mag just pit? Why couldn't he have just coasted that thing through? Like, he was that close oh, to the look. pit entrance. It, it seemed bizarre that he wouldn't have just continued on and rolled through. Yeah, but I'm glad he didn't. Uh, completely. Because, I'm saying that. Because it's... Absolutely. So, look, the pit lane was closed because they were pushing the car down because they didn't want to interrupt the snack table. Fair enough, I guess, if you're in that kind of position. But... Lewis Hamilton leading at the front. Now, there was a eight-second window between when Lewis Hamilton... Uh, sorry, between when the pit lane was closed and Lewis Hamilton came in to the pits. Now, apparently there's a, there's a very small part of the screen of which all of the Mercedes guys are looking at that says pit lane closed. And there was a guy back at the team headquarters in the UK who saw it and then came back to the pit wall to say pit lane closed, pit lane closed, pit lane closed. But by then it was too late. And, of course, Hamilton had already boxed. But... Um, this is definitely on both them and Lewis. There's two massive screens. Some people said, oh, it's out of his eyeline, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, that's fine. But as a driver, you need to be looking at all of this other stuff <laughs> the too, UK surely. would say that. <laughs> uh, but every other team, apart from Giovinazzi, <laughs> got it right. So even Max's radio engineer gets on it and says uh, – Max, don't pit, don't box. Uh, the pit lane is closed. Pit lane is closed. Hamilton's just boxed. 
<laughs> it's like, what? What the hell is he doing here? So that caused the ripple-on effect. Uh, and, of course, we had a red flag as well, and then that is separate to that, and that's because Charles Leclerc put it into the wall. Um, we didn't talk about this specifically, guys, but uh, Tommy T, did you see the stewards trying to pull the Ferrari out of those tyres? Yeah, and it nearly flipped up. Because of the, <laughs> the engine size so heavy, they pull up by the halo, and it's so rear heavy, insane. It's almost like yeeted one of them to Magello. Little, because like I can get a free it trip. Like a little Italian man jumped on a toadstool and bloody flew off like Mario. <laughs> Good reference. I love that. Yeah, I, but it just took forever to, to disconnect that. And, yes, I think, Campy, your point of it, it looked like a bigger shunt than it was, but, I mean, it was buried in there. Um, and, I mean, he got straight out and started just running across the track, basically, so he was obviously totally fine. Um, but that caused a massive amount of things to go on, and one of which was the two Afro Romeos strangely found themselves at the very front of the pack and Kimi Raikkonen was back in his rightful place sniffing down a podium. Campy, it wasn't that oh. a bloody moment to behold? Oh, I was like, if Kimi can hold on for a third place here, I would have been stoked because um, Kimi held on for, you know, 10 laps, 10, 11, 12 laps. And uh, once his tyres went off, that's when they started picking him off. But he held on for a long time, so... Yeah, a bit of a shame that he dropped back and didn't even get in the points in the end. But um, oh, look, we love we love Kimmy. Unfortunately, I think it probably is his last year. Um, he wouldn't want to continue on in a car that's as useless as it is. He's still competitive. But the thing I liked about Kimmy's drive, this you saw how hard he raced everyone, yep. and that yeah. experience that comes with driving at the front and those top A class drivers. When these young guys are coming to squeeze him and pass him and drive through, he raced them. To the block, to the bone, with zero contact, and that's what you see in a great driver like Kimi Rock. And uh, unfortunately for Giovinazzi, he got the same penalty as Lewis, so he hung around for a couple of laps and nicked off. Uh, otherwise, it could have been a bit of a one-two action from those two helping each other out. But yeah, uh, I mean, tough race for tough race for Alfa Romeo. So and Giovinazzi's home race too. I mean, no one likes to see it, but they, they sort of made their mm. own bed. Really, gonna get another one next week. <laughs> yeah, good point. Oh, yeah, another one. That's fantastic. Hey, uh, the thing that really I didn't understand, and maybe this is a good time to talk about it as well, is under a red flag, teams are allowed to change tyre compounds on car. And we and we said earlier on in the podcast that people like Stroll uh, just sort of magicked their way up the field and, and there wasn't any anything that anyone could do about it. Lando was saying in his uh, press conference afterwards with uh, JB that, you know, he's pretty angry about that situation because he didn't really deserve to be in that position and I couldn't agree with him more. But weird that Kimi stayed on the soft, don't you think, boys, instead of going to the mediums? Because as you said, Campy, there was an opportunity really to hold off other mm. cars and everyone else was on mediums around him. Uh, <laughs> th- look, it might have been that he didn't have any sets of mediums left or fresh or whatever, uh, but uh, it seemed pretty poor there. I would suggest if you look at tyre allocations, they only took uh, they took whatever like one one set of hard or two sets of hards to do one running on the Friday, and then two sets of mediums to do one running on the Friday and keep one for the race. So I think every other tyre selection would have been the softs, so that's yeah. what they went with because they had a spare one. So a bit of a shame, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, but again, being out the front, you know, leading people who have, like Valtteri Bottas, for example, when Kimi was in front of him, you're like, how is this even possible? And also, (laughs) goes to show that he is the kind of guy that should have stuck around in that Ferrari last year and been consistent and been a great teammate to Seb. And we might have even seen fortunes change like, you know, Canada last year for for Seb. But anyway, let's move on uh, to Red Bull. And a bit of a weird one for Max Verstappen. Here he was unfortunately uh, retired with an issue. Honda, the little Honda embedded team, saw an issue with his PU and uh, and they pit him to to stop the race. But uh, there's, so there's not really much to talk about there. But I tell you what, boys, Alexander Albon, he finished in fifteenth oh, on track on merit. He's got to go too. We have to have a conversation about realistically where he's. Uh, go, Tommy, for, go. For this year. He's going go on, back Tommy. to Formula E. Jeez, where he was originally going to go. <laughs> this is, mate, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the car wasn't up to scratch. We saw Max struggling somewhat, but to not be able to get past Russell, to not be able to get past Raikkonen on absolutely haggard tyres is an absolute disgrace. Like, I have no idea what he's, is going on. This guy has no confidence. I think that's a massive part of it, but very insane. Um, and quickly on well, the Max thing, so this track is usually where Red Bull would kind of take a bit of a dummy and take all of their engine penalties, yep. do those kind of things. Because the season's yep. all jumbled up, they didn't this time. But, man, still not good enough that this is not one of your strong tracks. But they are, they are not that far down as a constructor to be sitting second last. Uh, that's insane to me. I, I think they really struggled with the power modes. Yeah. Yeah. Really think I struggle with the power modes. And Max was like, I saw a video on YouTube today of Max's uh, Max's uh, radio on the, on the second outlap where they actually weren't allowed to talk to you, the teams. And he was speaking to them the whole way around and he was just going, this effing engine is driving me mental. Like, it was worse than when Alonso said this is a GP2 motor. He was... Deeply frustrated with Honda, and that could cause some friction because we've seen that we've seen drivers go down that path before. Uh, it wasn't televised, so it wasn't as open as everything else. But uh, these days, we have a lot more um, access to the yeah. uh, the communication between drivers and teams, and they they come out in the public forum. And it wouldn't surprise me if what Max said about the engine comes out, and it's a it's a big media blow up this week. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Gasly had a new power unit because of a week ago, two weeks ago, he had trouble. Is that correct? And Max is probably running on an older power unit. Is that maybe what was going on? Because it's oh. the same engine basically in the in the Alpha Tori. So insane to see how much different power they're getting out of it just with these engine mode changes. Well, you never know. They might be running their – they might have some genuine pace in qualifying with their power mode on, but because it's mm. got to be the same for yeah. qualifying the race, they may have turned it down or turned it up slightly, which had an adverse effect on the engine. We just don't know these things again. Now, there's more variables that we don't understand in the sport and yeah. we can't really figure out, which is to its detriment and doesn't help us, the fans, in discussing these things either because now we're talking about what ifs and hows and whys. We, well, at the end of the day, we're really really don't know why, but I would suggest that this power unit um, turning down a modes and changing between modes has been really bad for 
for particularly Honda. Yeah, very interesting. We also saw other people struggling with cooling the car down as well. Valtteri Bottas jumps to mind uh, with the fact that he couldn't use the engine mode to help cool down the car. Uh, Let's talk about Renault because... They had it seemed like a massive power deficit from Spa last weekend. We came out of the re- race recap saying, "Oh, so good, Danny Rick. You know he's got the speed. This is a low downforce. We're going to more low downforce. Surely Renault's going to be up there." And they were looking okay in practice, but come qualifying, they were looking pretty miserable. Although in saying that, it was very, 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 very tight, really between uh, Perez and Ricardo at the end of the day, but. Renault Danny Rick, as a Danny whole, Rick was two tenths off signs, two and a half tenths off signs. So it's not huge. No, but I was going to say Renault as a whole isn't as far back as they were this time last year. So they have made significant steps forward. I'm going to say it's all because of Daniel Ricciardo. I yep. don't care if it's right or wrong. It's just 100%. That's the fact, the Oz F1 fact there. Um, but he seems happier in the car, Campy, don't you think? The way that he's driving that thing now in terms of late break, and we saw a lot of those moves that he was putting on um, through the race, it seems more classic Danny Rick. And it means hopefully that that car's sort of being more developed around him. Well, this year he's been a hell of a lot more comfortable with the car than he was last year, and that that be, that can be because the car a has improved, and b um, that he's more used to the braking systems and what makes Danny Rick a good driver. He's been he's comfortably outdriven Ocon at every chance. I think and I think there was one, a couple of races where Ocon got the win because Danny Rick had a problem, but I think um, Danny Rick at seven one or. 7-1 or 8-1 in qualifying, 7-1 in qualifying at the moment. His race pace is genuinely quicker than Ocon's. Yep. Uh, he's a star for me. It was a real frustrating race being a Danny Rick fan because, you know, I mean, he made up passes on both restarts, but unfortunately Lando Norris uh, getting the gap between him and his teammate in that, in that pit stop era really, like, held him right up and Valtteri got past him. So, real shame. Danny Rick was always on the up, but he was just caught in that DRS train in those top five or six or top five cars in the first stint and the second stint in the race. And it was a real shame. There wasn't a lot he could do. I don't think the car was as quick as we thought it was going to be, but that's not a reflection of Danny Rick. But for me, Ocon, if I'm Renault, I'm seriously having conversations about who can we get in to replace this guy next year because he's not turning out how we should have, how we thought he would. Do you think, Tommy T, that we even might see someone like Hockenberg even step back into a seat alongside Alonso? Well, I, I just don't see anything from Hocken. He's He's just playing the second fiddle. He's like a very, and very, very poor man's Bottas. He's, <laughs> he's, he's not competing at all with... Ricardo, Ricardo is walking away with absolutely everything every week. He's not helping strategy-wise. He's he's really not contributing anything to the team that we can see. Um, I don't know, unless we're on we're on the out and we just really don't understand what the team is trying to achieve. But he hasn't threatened to win at all. Which we were coming into the season, we were told that it was going to be very competitive, and it's been anything but that. Yeah, Tom. it's it, go campy, please. Sorry, no, you go. Now, just looking at the way that the, the team has developed over the last couple of years, and you think we were talking about Jolyon Palmer before and, and on BBC, but the way that he was racing alongside someone like Hulkenberg, and last week we spoke about the, the merits of putting Hulkenberg 
and probably the weeks before that, into Red Bull and how he drives. His little session in that racing point just shows that, yes, he's not an A-tier driver, but he is solid, consistent, able to get up there, do what he needs to be needs to be done, rather, and a good supportive teammate. He was a good supportive teammate to Danny Rick last year, and it wasn't that it was A or B drivers, uh, sorry, in the team, or number one or number two, but it's just a, a team effort. And it just seems like Ocon just hasn't got that through his head yet that it is a team effort like McLaren do so well you know Lando as you said almost rear gunning for signs to protect that position now that probably he wasn't totally happy about doing that but at least he knows he's more likely to win a race next year than signs is but that's an (laughs) overall team work but Ocon just you know he hasn't got the pace it doesn't look like he really deserves that seat, as, as hard as that is to say, because it was good to see him come back after that year off. Yeah, the year off has really cost him for his his development. Or he wasn't that good when we thought, I think, I think Hulk's better than Perez, Stroll and Ocon, the three of them put together. Mm. And they're yep. the guys that he's previously raced. So I yeah. think it's smart to bring, I think Renault should open the door back up to Hulkenberg and say, mate, we're really sorry. Uh Come back if you if you want us. That'd be a great yeah, pairing of some old heads there as well with Hulkenberg uh, and Nando. That'd be great. Yeah, but then you can use that for Renault to breed the young driver program, and their yeah. young driver program has got uh, it's got Piastri, it's got Piastri in it, and there's uh, Guangzhou in F two as well, and the Chinese yep. fellow, and he's he's done a pretty good job this year. Um, although I haven't followed F two as closely as I have F three, but they've got some good kids on the up and the good kids are sport supporting. So I think if you took in a Hulkenberg and Alonso and you said, right, let's, let's, we're going to take you guys for two or three years and you're going to drive our team now. Ultimately, we're going to move one of you or two of you on. But in that time, we need you to share your experience with these young guys and we're going to get these younger guys in. Yes, to drive sessions every second weekend or, but really grow them in the, over those two or three years stints where they, they have a chance to understand and get around the expertise of these two guys. I think that's the way to do it because Ocon's not working out and and maybe he just wasn't that good. And it might be interesting to see where... Alpine, Renault end up in the new regulations too uh, when it comes to that. Maybe different thinking, yeah. who knows? A re-corporate brand is great at any time, right, guys? Yeah. Well, let's talk about a corporate brand, rebrand, Racing Point. Uh, Perez and Stroll. Now, again, I was pretty disappointed with how Racing Point was performing over most of this weekend, mainly because of my fantasy team, which we'll come to later. <laughs> but uh, Perez was just kind of nowhere. Stroll really didn't deserve that third over someone like Danny Rick and Lando. But as a whole, this team just is still, I think you're right what you said, Campy, last week, in that we probably pumped up their tyres a little bit too much and we've seen we've said that they're better than they actually are. Well, if we go back to our bold prediction statement and our second prediction season predictions thing, I said this. <laughs> I literally, these, these are words for words. I go, right, Perez, this is what's going to happen one week in this year. He's going to qualify shit. He's going to get an absolute bomb of a race strategy and it's going to propel him up the order and he'll hold on for a podium. 
And that's exactly what happened. Perez was – sorry, I'm talking about Stroll. Stroll was so far off Perez in qualifying, and you can see the difference uh, in when in when Stroll's up there with Perez and when he's not. The inconsistency is quite big. But that, like, that gap in qualifying was, was not representative of where that car should have been for Stroll, but he ultimately got lucky and probably should have won it, really. It was between mm, him totally. and Gasly, but he he binned the start and he's probably nervous, and then he he went wide into that uh, to the the first chicane uh, in turn one two three in turn four and turn five. So you know, I think I think he'd be scratching his head if I'm him. I'm not happy with third because it was his race to lose, really. But he shit the bed. But he held on for a podium, so good for that team. And unlucky for Perez, really. Yeah, and Tommy T, uh, we had a, a, after the red flag, we had a proper standing start rather than a racing uh, start or behind the safety car, which was so much better. Although very bizarre, must have been very bizarre for the drivers to get out, you know, Lewis to go for a bit of a scoot scoot around being angry as he was and then get back in. (laughs) Valtteri Bottas sitting in the car, doesn't move the entire time. It's like, I'm ready. And everyone else, (laughs) but Stroll really just had it all to lose. And he did. He just could not get any temperature into those tyres. It seems that his starts are pretty rubbish anyway. But uh, as you look at Gasly's start, like that was – he was on it and and positioned the car really well. Um, As you say, Campy, almost a shame that he sort of didn't get up there. It was his to lose. But he wouldn't have deserved it anyway properly because he didn't actually pit. Um, But Tommy T, that that watching him fall back so quickly, do you think – this is more of what we're going to see of Racing Point as the season progresses. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So the restart from a standing start is so much more interesting. Danny Rick pointed out in his post-race that you actually can do a lot more with it because it's not just behind a, a safety car. You can actually gain a lot more out of it, but you can lose a lot more. And we saw Stroll, like Stroll just lost. He locked up really late coming into, as Campy said, that. And then from then on, he just had no confidence. He couldn't, he couldn't make that place back. But genuinely, this was fell everything perfectly for him. He didn't pit. He went straight on to fresh tires like it was his pit stop. He got basically gifted 25 seconds of not having to race ahead of everyone else. So really disappointing from him not to come out with the win. Yeah, it's. Uh, he, I just don't think he wants it enough. Oh, I, think we need to change, say, I think we need to change these red flag rules. I think you can change wings, you can fix damage, but you can't change tires because the advantage yeah. you get just so far outweighs... The, uh, yeah. the advantage that... Or you know, it doesn't and, count as your pit stop and you have to pit again afterwards. Yeah, all that too. I think yeah. I think you're right yeah. because I remember having this conversation two or three years ago after that Brazil race that got was in the wet where Max came through and got third and there was like three different... Uh, two different red flags in it. Race went for like five and a half hours. I thought we had that conversation where... Um, you know, we wouldn't be able to change tyres, but obviously not. But I did like the restart on the grid, not starting on the safety car. That was that was very good. So I think if they just tweak it, not that it need much needs much tweaking, but if they just tweak it to say you can't or you can change tyres, but it doesn't count to your pit stop, then good to go. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I think that's a great would, solution, Tommy. Where would he have come uh, if we didn't get red flagged? Like he was running around, he probably oh, wouldn't have got a yeah. point. Would have been out of the points, and Kimmy would have got some points. And he was gifted so, basically the perfect opportunity to win the race. So very disappointing. And he didn't. Didn't. Let's <laughs> talk about McLaren and oh. how how good 
that Daniel Ricciardo is going to McLaren in 2021. I'm going to say it every bloody podcast because Ferrari, you can put yourselves in the bin when it comes to that. Everyone going, oh, well, you can't say no to Red. I'm glad he did uh, because he he is going to a team that has it all together. He even made some comments about uh, how McLaren have progressed and uh, JB talking to Andreas Seidel. JB was the last person to win a race for McLaren back in 2012. So uh, there has been some time, but it's been... Really, the last two years, uh, as Andrea started fixing that team up, that Danny Ricciardo was investing in their future. But, boys, Carlos Sainz was, like, so happily pissed off that he got second, (laughs) wasn't he? He was so dejected. He ended up, like, crossing four tenths after Gasly in another lap and he would have got him. Well, he was sitting second on merit before any of this chaos happened. So... You can imagine why he was bloody annoyed. So, I mean, he's annoyed that yeah. he got second when he was probably going to get second if Hamilton didn't get a penalty. But it was a different kind of second because he really should have been able to get that first with all the chaos happening. He was just very unlucky. At least yeah, Gasly had pit beforehand, though, is my only comment yeah, about that. But, yes, yeah. I think you're yeah. right. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think Lando uh, – sorry, Carlos, I think he should have won it. I think, I think he had the pace in his car, unfortunately, that – that the the other Renault team was looking pretty slippery in a straight line, and uh, they don't have as much downforce as their sister team. But um, yeah, Carlos, I think he's spewing, and I, I like to see that. I don't want to see guys settling and be happy with podiums and seconds and thirds. And for Carlos, I think that's his really only genuine chance to win in the next eighteen months because he's not going to win next year with Ferrari. He's not going to win in twenty twenty two, and I think he knows that in the back of his head. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right in saying one more lap he probably would have had the race, but he had plenty of time to cut that lap time down. He had plenty of time to give it a crack. But again, like changing these uh, engine modes and banning them and keeping one, we missed a whole section of that race which could have made it even better than it was. And I think for me that's frustrating. Yeah, we could have yeah, had last you lap never colours. really. Yeah, we never really know how much performance is left in the car. Uh, maybe, maybe keep the... Maybe keep the qualifying the the engine modes just to qualifying, not for the race. Do what you want in the race. Mm. Um, yeah, you know because I think we missed a chance. I mean, I know the commentary was talking about the inevitability of the reverse grid races. This is why we need them. It's like, well, hang on a minute. Motor racing induces good racing, you know, five or six times a year, and if we don't have the maximum amount of these cars that we expect. And it just changes it. And for me, this is why the race is so frustrating because we didn't really... I mean, it could have been different again. Uh, we had the incident which caused the caused the chaos and the changing of positions and the grid order, but, you know, engine modes could have been anyone's race in that top five, top six. So, mm-hmm. real shame. But Carlos spanked Lando this weekend, like straight up, just, you know, yeah. Lando was a bit off for me. Lando I mean, was still got a fourth, so. but Carlos was exceptional. <laughs> Genuinely, yeah. they both had great weekends, but both uh, of their Land- starts... Lando's... Both of their starts were incredible. Lando's- Lando's dead to me, mate. Why? I just hope that the <laughs> Drive to Survive Netflix crew were with McLaren this this weekend, or uh, because they were with. Uh, I keep wanting to say Toro Rosso, Alpha Tauri <laughs> last weekend, um, but uh, I the scenes in the garage of oh. Carlos's manager, who's also one of his cousins, like just he was on his the edge of his seat. I had to stop, like put the phone down, you know, shut the laptop and shut Twitter down, and everything else, just so I could concentrate because. 
because I didn't want to miss anything. And he was pushing that car so much. I mean, he almost binned it a couple of times just yeah. with tyre placements and everything else because he wanted that so badly. This is why I love Formula One so much. And so many people said, oh, I'm so bored, blah, 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 whatever. L- watch this race. And especially the last couple of laps, I was legitimately on the edge of my seat because he wanted it so badly. And yes, as you said, Campy, he could have closed it down sooner, but it just sort of added, I guess, to, to that excitement. But I've never heard someone achieve their best position ever in a Formula One race and be so dejected yeah. at the yeah. same time. And it's it has to, to be say. said, he was holding himself pretty well behind Lewis. Yeah. When it was, when, you know, McLaren were in second and third, they were doing incredibly well. And yes, there was a bit of a gap. It was about it was a six to eight second gap to Lewis, yeah, but bit, it wasn't any bigger than that. Most. At its most, but it, if you think back to other races in the in the calendar where Lewis has just gone see ya, and it's all just disappeared for a car that you know isn't as strong and isn't as powerful, it's good. It shows again engine modes, but uh, no, good from him. I'm uh, to be honest, I was kind of half half Gasly and Signs going. Oh, I really want. Carlos to win because he's not going to win for a long time and it's going to make him going to Ferrari even worse in his mind. Probably makes me a terrible person. And Gasly because I really want the team to win because they've only, you know, McLaren's won a stack and um, Alpha Tauri's only won one before. So uh, really good. Look, Lando, as you say, uh, he should have been on the podium over Lance Stroll. Deserved it more. As much as you're off him campy, at least he was naturally deserved to be there and drove a pretty good race as well. Uh, let's talk about Mercedes, before we talk about the final team, uh, Valtteri Bottas had a terrible start and was complaining about a puncture. No, didn't have one. He was just so far back in the dirty part of the track that he couldn't really sort it out. And we have just seen again that a Mercedes car cannot follow other cars. Tommy? Yeah. Well, it was pretty disappointing to see. It just shows how important qualifying is for those two uh, Mercedes I don't know why Bottas Bottas couldn't get through those couple of cars when we saw at the end when Lewis could. So I don't know if it was something actually damaged on Bottas' car. We won't know until unless they come out and say it. But bizarre to see that those two cars have to qualify at the front and that's the only way that they can really dominate the way that they have been. Now, I remember in Melbourne last year when we had Valtteri came out and spanked Lewis Hamilton, and Lewis Hamilton had that damage on his floor on the side. Now, to the naked eye, didn't look like much, but it affected Lewis's pace compared to Valtteri's massively. This weekend, VB, at the start of the race, took some damage to the side uh, of... Uh, just past the barge board uh, on the floor, and it was a big chunk. It was looked like a big shark bite on the flat part underneath the barge boards. Now, they tried to replace that under the red flag, but the FIA wouldn't let them. That, I think, that hinted Valtteri's raw pace in a uh, straight up and down fight, and he didn't have the engine modes either. So I think that's what cost him, really. But- um he should not have let Lando Norris get through him on that chicane. He should not have given up those places that he did. Fair enough, Carlos yeah, got through mean, on the toe. That was always going to happen. Third, he's always going to get a really good run into that first chicane. But yeah, the second but, chicane, but, Lando had no business coming around the outside. Like He should have defended Lando way better than he did, and that's why he caused damage. Like I don't know. He needs to get his elbows out. He needs to want this more than he is just kind of being a passenger and refusing to engage. Like Mate, a passenger, he he qualified sixty nine one thousand. Qualifying is not against Hamilton. anyone. Qualifying is against yourself. When he's wheel uh, to against, wheel, no, 
No, but against Lewis, he qualified. This guy is on the money. Now, whatever happened off the start, might have been a tyre issue, might have been a tyre wall. We don't know. We don't know if Das was working and he wasn't be able to heat his tyres up like... um, like Lewis Hamilton. What we do know is his reaction time was actually quicker than Lewis Hamilton, but in the second and third phase of the start, he got bogged down on wheel spin for whatever reason. Now, I would suspect that his tyres weren't warm enough. Um, He took a couple of hits. He thought he had some issues, and there was absolutely something wrong with the car in that first lap. That's why he didn't just get passed by one person. He got passed by both McLarens and uh, Danny Rick as well. So, look, VB's there. He's quick enough and he's got the fight. Don't, I don't think tell he's, got me he's not. He does not, not have the it. fight. If there's a 50-50 battle, he will always yield. He, he, Everyone knows that if you go into a 50-50 competition, he'll always give way. He won't crash his car out because he's conservative. And that, I think, has damaged no. his reputation. And people know they can throw something a bit ambitious up on the inside like Lando did, and he's just going to give it to them. No, I don't think you're right there. I think the guy is he is he always just seems to be like not last week, but this week, he was just on the wrong side of Lewis Hamilton. For anybody to qualify within a tenth of Lewis Hamilton means they are a top class ATU driver. You should be qualifying and that car that high. It, now let's yeah, let's not forget I'm not saying he shouldn't be doing it second, but like if he's qualifying within a tenth of Lewis Hamilton, that's a look, that's that's a feat in its own. This guy's here to win a world championship and this year luck hasn't gone his way. He just seems to be on the wrong side of everything at every time. He had a perfect chance this weekend to get a win. But he's like for whatever reason, every time these things happening, I mean, talk about good luck for Lewis. Lewis doesn't care that he got that penalty and he lost a couple of points to Max and Bottas. Like, he doesn't care. If Bottas had a won it, it would have been a different story. But, you know, it just seems to me that Lewis's good luck and Valtteri's bad luck is just always – he's always on the wrong side of the I don't Valtteri think at the this moment. this week was and luck. It's a real shame. As much as it was lack of, I don't know, racecraft and ability to kind of get your elbows out and – keep your position. Yeah, but he he clearly had damage to his floor off lap one. After he hit Lando clearly. when he let Lando through that. He should not have Lando. let Lando through that. That no, was the contact. Lando hit him. Lando hit him. That was contact wheel to wheel. let's not forget, <laughs> all right, that VB is our Russell Crowe. He's an adopted Australian because he's dating <laughs> Tiffany Cromwell. So I understand both of And he's points, Finn. He's a Finn, but, so we love but him. But I feel like we need to side with Campy on this side only because of the Australian connection. Not saying you're wrong, Tommy. That's just, Are you that's saying just my... It's 59. It's 51. It's 49. <laughs> Maybe, the, the maybe tea, a little the bit. The T and Tommy T stands for tit. Oh, I'm sure you are. <laughs> Tommy tit. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, obviously super dejected after his little scoot scoot around the place, tried to go to the principal's office and beg for forgiveness, didn't work, came back down again, got back on his scooter. Um, I almost wanted what happened to Nicholas Latifi with the tyre gun line, sort of just, you know, come out of nowhere and surprise him, to surprise him on the scooter and him, not to hurt himself or crash or anything, but just to really give himself a bit of a shock because he was going at some pace down that pit lane and uh, a lot of mechanics had to get out of his way, which is a totally different conversation to have. But uh, after he did his uh, penalty within two laps of, of needing to do it, 
again, shows that the Mercedes incredibly quick. It was like 27 seconds behind the pack, catches up pretty quickly, and then shows again that Mercedes really sucks at being behind other cars. And um, to be fair, he finished a lot higher than I thought he was going to finish, uh, just behind Danny Rick. I didn't think he'd, he might have maybe get got 10th or 11th. Um, but I think that's probably with his experience in being in Mercedes just over top of the other cars. But I was so stoked. When he got that penalty, I was the happiest person. I was like, thank goodness he is not going to be anywhere near. And as much as uh, Albon being down the back, you know, he was the first person that Hamilton had to get by. And with recent history, he's either going to spin him out of the way (laughs) or be stuck behind him for a little bit, uh, of which he was. So, yeah, I you know, nothing against Lewis, but I was glad that he didn't get anywhere near the podium this weekend. All right, let's talk about the Italian team that actually won the Italian Grand Prix. The Italian National Anthem, for whatever it's worth, was played there, and it wasn't a Ferrari. It wasn't even Alfa Romeo, even though that would have been the Swiss Anthem. Alfa Tauri smashing it. Those mechanics, happiest people in 2020. It has to be said, I don't think anyone else could be as happy as they were. And even though the Tifosi weren't there to do anything uh, for the crowd point of view in terms of cheering Gasly on, I think they made up for it. To be honest, they were so stoked. I've, it was it was pretty overwhelming uh, feelings-wise that they managed to get their second-ever victory in similar, not the same, but similar circumstances as Sebastian Vettel in 2008. Congratulations, Pierre Gasly, you lucky son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't let it go. Um, let's talk very quickly, though, about Kvyat um, and what actually happened, Campy, because you said earlier on that uh, Kvyat, uh, the reason probably why Gasly won was because of Kvyat's radio call. Yeah, well, Kvyat, they're on different strategies, and Kvyat was way quicker than Gasly at the time, and... Uh, you know, they decided to pick Gasly. And, and look, let's face it, the kid got lucky. Got really lucky. Um, I would have preferred Kvyat to win, but that's not the way it turned out. Um, Comrade. But, but it could have been. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm joking. No, look, look. Uh, congratulations, Gasly. Don't tell me he's, don't tell me he's the driver of the week, two weekends in a row because he's got lucky both weekends. No, it's not on. He's beating Daniel Kivy at the moment. That's all the kids doing in my books. When when things happen, Alpha Tauri seemed to be in the right place throughout the last two or three years. We've had Kvyat, we've had we've had Kvyat and Gasly both get podiums, and this year they've got to win. Now, I mean, they always seem to be making the right calls at the right times and getting lucky. Whereas the reality is. Anyone in that top 11 and 12 really could have won it today if they had got it right strategy-wise. Turned out to be Gasly, so congratulations. And it's good result for you. It's probably good for your psyche. It's good for your, you know, it'll be good for you in the sense that you need to get out of the Red Bull program and move on next year. Yeah. Because uh, you're not going to get a drive at the top team again because, you know, at the top end, we really know what sort of drive you are. You're in that same level as as the, you know, the C-grade drivers breaking into that B-grade. You've improved. You've had some good times. I'm genuinely happy for you. But, you know, good luck, lucky, lucky, good on you. You were nowhere all weekend. So, moving on. Tommy T. Well, I think the complete opposite of Campy. I think this is really good for Gasly. I think <laughs> what a surprise. he's still extremely young. We forget how young these drivers are. He's still got a long career ahead of him. I think he's really shown a bit of maturity since he came back to AlphaTauri. In this season, he has dominated against Kvyat. He has pretty much produced all the points for that team. 
And I don't, I, w- I don't think he should go back to Red Bull. I think he should stick with AlphaTauri, and I think they should invest in yes in keeping this as an actual viable team. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is the first win for a non-Mercedes, Ferrari, or Red Bull team since the new regs. And you can't take that away from anyone, no matter how lucky you think it is. That is a very impressive feat. So full credit to him. He absolutely nailed it once he got that luck, as we're going to say. But you've got to be in the right spot at the right time. He dominated out of that second Tommy start. Tommy was luck. It definitely wasn't planned. It was Any, luck. Regardless. It was, like stroll, it was like stroll lucky. Regardless, he came out of that second restart. He dominated to put a gap ahead so people didn't have DRS on him. He held it. And then that last five laps when his tyres were dead, he managed to hold off signs. Very impressive drive. Like He did exactly what he had to do and he won. <sighs> Very, very hey, look, impressed. Do you know what? Yep. I really don't think he should go back to Red Bull ever. Even if he's offered the opportunity, I would be yeah. looking at other teams and going, what else is yep. out there? Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I, we know what the Red Bull culture is like. He obviously suffered under that. Red Bull have come out and said they were not going to do the same thing to Alex Albon, but he's suffering out there too. We know Albon can drive. He's been a decent driver for a lot of his career, as was Gasly too, but it just you know, those that car obviously doesn't suit them. We've said many times Danny Rick was a superstar in that team alongside Max to show that. But he should be looking elsewhere because this kind of result, yes, he might have been lucky, but it's still better than a lot of people, even like Hulk, who still hasn't had even a podium, let alone won a race, yeah. uh, as, as sad as that is for him. But um, again, for the team, I'm so stoked. Franz Tost hasn't changed since they won in 2008. There was footage of him in 2008 with Sebastian yeah. Vettel, exact same haircut, exact same everything. And the, the race interview at the end, he was, uh, JB is like, yeah, well, you know, you're going to go for a party tonight? He's like, no, we're all packing up and going to Mugello. There'll be no partying here. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Well, better t- team management than uh, Mattia Bonotto, I tell you what. But no, I'm I, honestly for the team for Minardi, stoked, oh, totally. stoked for Minardi. That's the race recap, and of course we've got Magello next weekend to look forward to, but. Uh, Time to talk about probably Campy's least favourite thing on this podcast, but there's a, a couple of people who will be pretty happy about this. It's the Fantasy Oz F1 League. Uh, I tell Yawn. you what, we, I was shocking this weekend. Tommy T, I'm sure you were pretty much the same, but there's been look. a bit of a shuffle up the front. Um, S. Schill from Argentina, Santiago Team 1 is now on top of the leaderboard. Oh, We've got Jay Moore. Karen, can I see your team principal, Horner? Which is <laughs> it's so good. And R. Moxley, better no. dead than red. Um, a name shout out to Hayden Morrill, Antonio, your spud with a potato. Has to be said. Really enjoyed that a lot. Um, how's, uh, how's Mr. Manus going? He, uh, he's, he's doing pretty well considering. Uh, he's Drop back. Got a, He's dropped that back to fourth. Uh, God, I hate that kid is, is a reference to some Twitter stuff that was going on and people yeah, at the yeah. end. Um, but, look, really good guys. You guys use Twitter way too much. Yeah, way yeah too much. It's, it's my favourite How thing. on earth you managed to tweet 
50 times throughout a race and text me 300 times. I do not know. It tells me you got better things to be doing than actually watching a race. Multitasking is a wonderful talent. Correct. Uh, there you go. You two and quick wit. <laughs> Dickheads. That's uh, my hot tip for this week. Yeah, there you go. Dickheads. You managed, to, you managed to sneak it in. Well, look, regardless, we still love you, Campy. Honestly, really great uh, to chat with you guys. Look, if you enjoyed this, please leave us a review, comment. All of the details on how to contact us are in the description below. Boys, thank you for your time. Really enjoyed this, uh, this race. Uh, it's pretty epic as far as I'm concerned. Um, music in this episode by Entente, the boys. Thank you to them and thank you for listening to Oz F1. We will be back again in seven days at Magello. You! Sports Social Podcast Network.